do this while we're getting ready today. We will start off uh, in the book of Matthew. We'll spend uh, a lot of times in Matthew chapter 25 today as we get rolling and started with um, our conversation today uh, about our family values when we talk about judgment and uh, I'll tell you I've had a great time not normally you don't get excited to talk about judgment amen it's kind of like hmm. but um, I've had a had a fantastic time doing that uh, I want to let you know before we came to First Baptist uh, in 2014 uh, we came in 2015 uh, Christy and I found ourselves uh, invited to a trip to Israel um, by some um, ministers and family members in the area. And, and when we went, something really pretty phenomenal happened. I, I realized that there is something to getting to see Scripture in context, see it start to come to life. And so uh, if you go to Jerusalem, we have a, t a group going next summer, um, you, you'll find out that the roads you walk on in Jerusalem aren't the roads that Jesus walked on. If it's been destroyed and rebuilt and added to and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't change being able to visualize more clearly um, just how Scripture was and how, how close things were. I think that was what amazed me more than anything else. Well, this week on Saturday, uh, we have a group of senior adults that are going to get to go experience um, a replica and go visit uh, a replica that's been built of the ark. Um, and as they go, um, we've been praying for them as a staff. We've never had uh, a group gone uh, like this uh, for a couple of weeks, and we miss our senior. We send our kids everywhere. We don't ever send you guys places. Um, but, but my prayer has just been for this group of men and women that are going, that when they come back, that Scripture will look different to them because they could visualize a possibility of how God pulled things together. Um, and so I, I've been threatened by a few of you. I won't make you stand like our, our teenagers and, and others that we do. But if you're, if you're going with us uh, on that trip, would you just put your hand up so that we can see you real quick so that we know where we're praying? Amen. Amen. You can put it down. Church, would you just pray with me over this group that's going to be going next Saturday or this coming Saturday? Father God, um, Lord, the Bible tells us that no eye has seen and no ear can heard, no mind can comprehend the plans you have uh, ahead of us. But Lord, you give us so many clues behind us that should get us excited for what you have. And so, Lord, I just pray that as this group of men and women go, First of all, that you would get them there and home safely. But second of all, God, I pray that it wouldn't just be a sightseeing tour. Lord, I pray that they would have joy and fun. But God, I pray that in just the visualizing, Lord, of specifications, of possibilities, of how you directed uh, a man, Noah, to build an ark as a precursor of salvation. Lord, would you allow your word to come alive to them in a new way? And Lord, would you return them home with a vigor and a passion and excitement, uh, Lord, that they could not have conceptualized before they traveled. Lord, we thank you for their leadership, for their service in our church. And God, we're excited to see what you have in store. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listen, uh, this summer, we only have one more sermon left in our series on family values. And so um, as we do that, uh, let me turn this on here. As we do that, 
Uh, I, I just started to try to figure out how to put it in context. As we've been talking about family values, from the beginning we've talked about the Bible and creation, uh, then all the way to next week we'll talk about the reality of heaven and hell and, and what we can start to imagine. It won't be our whole series on heaven, we'll get in that closer to Christmas, um, but we'll be talking about what Scripture says about these things. And so as I did so, I've just been watching, one of our, our members and a lot of people in our church uh, have input uh, and hands-on things going on at NASA, but I've been following what's going on with this Artemis One mission that's going to launch uh, tomorrow. And, and I don't know about you, but just from a novice standpoint, I, I, I think I take for granted our space program sometimes and what it takes to, to get from point A to point B. So I just started reading about this uh, Artemis mission. And do you know it's not just about launching a big rocket into the sky to prove that we could do it? Did you know that? And that's kind of my thought was, okay, well, they're launching a, a rocket into the sky. That happens all the time now. Satellites are going in. Now we're talking about space junk and everything else. So I just started to dig and, and follow some of the resources one of our members put out. And, and here's what I thought. It's, it's more incredible than I could imagine. Do you know that this launch that happens Monday begins over in a million-mile journey that, that will cover speeds of over Mach 32 at different points in times. And the purpose of this thing is to uh, launch, or what's going to happen is this rocket's going to launch, and as it goes into space, its goal is to get around the room further out from, from the world than any uh, man-made ship or man-inhabited ship will have, has ever been. This one won't be inhabited, but we'll talk about that. And then it catches the moon's gravitational force and it will surround the moon while it pops out all of these solar panel looking devices to collect data. And it will circle for a while. And then the goal is to slingshot it home faster than any vehicle has ever come home and have the pod land safely in the ocean so that if someone was inside, they would be safe at the end of the trip. And now, now, we've gotten used to shuttle missions and this kind of thing, but let me tell you, the reason this is called Artemis 1 is because this is the gateway, this is the door. If this mission accomplishes itself, then it opens the door for manned flights to establish a presence and a base on the moon. It opens the door for exploring anything beyond the moon in man-made ways. Like, this little tipping point that's going to happen tomorrow is incredibly important for decades to come. It's not just putting a satellite up in space. And then I started to look at all of the work that's gone in behind this. You see, this mission is the beginning of a new phase, but it's the completion, the culmination of a previous phase. And so when you see this ship, when you see the news, and everybody's making a big deal about it, I want you to know it is a piece in a puzzle that's central to what is to come when it comes to space exploration. In fact, they're not calling this simply a government mission. It's a, it's a, a cooperative United States mission because of all the private companies that just have so much involved in this. And that's when I started to think, when you and I look at Scripture, you can kind of see on the board here, I want you to think of timeline a little differently when it comes into it. A lot of times we think of timeline as just a straight line, but I just want you to look at history this way. And, and at this point, we have creation. 
This is the creation of, of, of the world, the sun, the moons, and the stars. And, and we talked about uh, creation earlier this year. And then right after creation, what we have is the fall of man. And, and this is important because the fall of man impacts all of creation, not just mankind, not just a few things, everything. In fact, Scripture says that creation groans for the return of Christ. It's looking to be renewed itself, which is an, an amazing point to remember as we think about heaven. And, and in the midst of this sin, God does something. He makes a choice. And he chooses a certain people to open a doorway so that sin will not have a rule and will not destroy or tarnish every event from here on forward. So he chooses a, a man, Abraham, and then uh, through his people gives the law. And the law is for one purpose, to prove to God's chosen people and everyone else in the world that sin that has infected creation is not overcomable by good works. In other words, you're, here's the law, keep it perfectly, you can't do it. Right? That's the point. And so in this period, in the midst of this, God instills this idea called the Passover. It's not forgiveness, it's this Passover. In other words, I'm just going to not hold you accountable right now for your sin. And so when this law comes, all of this points to a moment. I'll, I'll just change the color for it. All of it was pointing to one moment. And that was the coming and the birth of Jesus Christ. All of this, all of creation, all of people, all the law, all of this proving has pointed to the real coming in the flesh, God with us. And whose sole purpose was to do what no man could do, fulfill the law, overcome sin, and make what was old and destroyed new. So it becomes really important then what happens after this line. Because after this line, what starts to happen, this series of event, this kind of our Artemis one moment, for lack of a better way to say it. What we have is not just Christ's coming, but his death on the cross. And not just his death on the cross, but his resurrection. In fact, Paul would say, without the resurrection, then none of this matters. We're all the way back here proving that we can't have the law. If Christ didn't die and rise again, if that did not happen, then it doesn't matter that he came because he fell victim to the consequence of sin just like everybody else. And so we, we talked about this marker. And then what we talked about last week was the return of Christ. And the return of Christ is important because if Christ conquered death, and that's all he did, he just proved our guilt. But in his word, he promises that he has borne our sin, that he has borne the consequence of our sin, that he will return for us, that where he is, we will be also, that he goes to prepare a place, he'll come back for us. And so Christ coming back, his return in this order is, is greatly important. And then we get to our last two parts of our timeline, and I would almost flatten it here, is after the return of Christ, we have this day of judgment. And after judgment, we kind of have what I would call our, our final state. Like what we can expect forever moving forward. Now, 
Now, here's what's interesting. Just like Artemis, it's all got to be in order, God's order. See, here's the deal. If Christ came after sin, but before everyone else was going, it, we wouldn't know the justice of God in the same way. It, it, we wouldn't see how God works. But in the proving of our inability to earn salvation, God says, listen, at just the right time, Christ came and he died for us. And so the order of what we're talking about matters. And, and here's the thing. Judgment, we, we talked about it last week. We don't know the time, but it always seems like the return of Christ is further and further away. It's not something we talk about or think about very much, which makes us not think about judgment very much. But, but what's funny is, if you go back and you watch, some of you are great readers, some of you are great movie watchers, right? I tend to be on the movie watcher part uh, a lot of times. I know the book is better, but I can watch the movie in an hour and a half. Y'all follow me? The book takes a little bit longer. So I just went through some, some movie themes about judgment. And, and here's what I found, is that knowing that this day of accountability is coming is not new. I, I think God has put it in our heart that we all know, if we're honest with ourselves, that one day there will be an accountability that's had for our life. And when the world thinks of it, it has some different theories. First of all, I saw a movie based on intelligence. If you were smart enough to figure out your life correctly, you got to move on to the next life, right? I would be toast. Some of you are thinking this would be good. But intelligence was, was part of our cultural shift. Um, then it was willpower. If you just had the will to get it right. I think about the movie Soul that Disney made. You just have the will to make it work. Then what you can do when the day of judgment for you to go from point A to point B comes, you can bypass that because you have the willpower to overcome it. Um, there was a movie about negotiation. Like, you're, you're, the day of judgment has come and you make a deal Oftentimes, what's funny is the movie doesn't make it with the Lord. It makes it with the devil, as if he's the one who stands uh, able to do that, although he's condemned. But this negotiation skill on the day of judgment will help you navigate uh, those waters. I, I saw another movie, um, and, and this now we start getting into normal life. It's just about works. It, it, it's just about, hey, if you were a good person or a bad person, by my definition, as long as it's 50.0001% in the good, you're going to be all right. And that's where we've built a lot of uh, world religions around this idea that I have to show God I am worth a seat at his table. So my good needs to outweigh my bad. And so on the day of judgment... I want this moment to where I see the scales tip in my favor. But here's what's interesting now and where I feel like we have landed in our current season. It's just disbelief. We've just made the day of judgment unimportant. You see, if I, if I don't think about it, then it doesn't matter. If, 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 I, if I just focus on my best life now, I'll deal with that when I get there. When, when we think about judgment in the big scheme of things, this idea of disbelief basically says, I'm going to pretend you're not here. Now, now have you ever done this? 
and you, and you don't have to play along with me, but kids, I need your help on this one. But, but parents, you can as well. We used to play peekaboo with my children. Have you ever played peekaboo? All right. Now, here's what I want you to do. When, when your baby or when your toddler wanted to play peekaboo back with you, did they ever try to hide from you at the same time? What I mean is they just put their hands over their eyes and their feet didn't go anywhere when you were like, I can't find you, and they're standing very still. Do you remember that phase? Okay, I want you to do this. If you're willing to, just put your hands there. I'm not taking your money. It's fine. Just for a second, just put your hands over your eyes. Right? Now, I just untook mine off. I can still see you. Okay, you can move them down. I just want to let you know it doesn't work. Okay? As, as we think about disbelief, who we tend to try to do is we try to deceive ourselves. And when we look at history, not just our opinions, we start to find out that, that intelligence, there's never been someone ever intelligent enough to figure out the law. That won't work. Willpower, there's never anyone that had a willpower enough to be a perfect person. The moral standards that we have fix ourselves. Negotiation. We don't ever have anyone to negotiate with. God, I know I shouldn't do it. If you're, if you're guilty, you may want to negotiate consequences, but you're still guilty. Works doesn't work. And disbelief just creates a whole new timeline. Church, when you and I start looking at the reality of judgment, here's what we find out. Every man-made thought, intelligence, willpower, negotiation, works, and belief fails an authentic test. It fails a biblical test. It fails an intellectual test. It fails a legal test. It's not just. It fails medical tests. Death, the consequence of sin. It fails a moral and social test because man-made standards they fall apart. Just make your own standards and then walk out the door and ask three people if they agree with you perfectly. You see, we, we can't create it. We can't happen. And, and here's why. Because sin creates self-deception. In the same way that when a child covers their eyes and thinks they're hiding, they're only fooling one person. Do you know who they're fooling? themselves that's what sin does if we look at the beginning of scripture all the way to the end adam and the eve eat the apple and you'll become like god the only person they deceived by believing that was going to work was themselves we see miriam and aram aaron telling moses we should be just like you god should want to come to us just like he comes to you that sin deceives herself over and over we see what sin has to do with us so when we talk about the judgment, here's what I want to do. I don't want to talk a lot about our stories. I want to look at what Jesus says about sin, about judgment, and about accountability. If you're a writer, there's one statement that will go, that will go with the whole morning. And I'll read it to you so you can have it written down. That when you think of the day of judgment, here's what I want you to be aware of. Let me change that so that the screen people like me better. When you think of the day of judgment, here's what I want you to think of. It is a day of accountability for your authentic or for the authenticity of your relationship with God. That's what it is. It's not a day to negotiate. It's not a day to outthink and outsmart. It's not a day for proving. 
When scripture talks about the day of judgment, it's simply a day where every human being will be held accountable for their relationship with God. God won't need some judge's outfit on. He won't have a gavel. He won't show your life on a screen. In fact, every biblical standard, every biblical picture we start to get about judgment follows this pattern. So if you're with me, let's just read about the day of accountability of the day for the next 15 minutes. And we'll walk through this. Matthew chapter 25 has three examples in it. And we'll go through all three, starting in verse 1 through 13, with the first example uh, about the bridesmaids and the bridegroom. The Bible says this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to, the bi- to meet the bi- bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here comes, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bri- to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterwards, uh, the other, other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. Now, a couple of things I want to tell you about this picture so that you're framing it correctly. First of all, first century Palestinian area and what's going on. Um, When we see virgins and bridegroom, we start getting modern, distorted, sinful pictures. Let's bring us back in time. So when a, a couple gave their nuptials, there was a time between the nuptials and when the wedding feast is. What's funny is today we're kind of sneaking back to that a little bit, right? We do this party for everybody who's close to us after the rehearsal on the night before. Then we go to the wedding. And then after the wedding, we usher all the guests towards one area. And then bride and grooms take pictures what feels like for like three days. Amen? I don't know why it always takes so long. I'm blaming it on the men today. I'm not blaming it on the women. It can't be that. But what's funny is then they go and meet and traditionally everyone would wait to even go inside until the guest of honors went in first and then everybody would be welcomed into what would be a great wedding feast. And a wedding feast in scripture was the blessing of the kingdom of God. It's over and over. You can find it, the picture of it there. And so what this image shows us is that when somewhere between the nuptials and arriving, the bridesmaids, if it was night, they would take jars of oil and, and torches, cloth torches, and they would kind of like make a runway celebration. Again, we do it on the way out. They would do it on the way in. And so they would wait. And in this story, the bridegroom and his bride are taking a little bit longer than anticipated. And so the, the bridegrooms come together, the, brides, or the bridesmaids come together, and it says that they're waiting, but some of them didn't anticipate how long it was going to be and so their jars of oil were dry and a a jar a a torch without a jar of oil is like a cell phone without a battery as you follow me like it doesn't do anything it just flames out and so in this story 
they say to the other bridegroom bridesmaids hey we don't want to look like we've missed out give us some of your oil and the other bridesmaids say we can't do that because they said he's coming but we don't know how long and we want to be ready but you go buy some and when you come back you'll you'll be ready and so they go to buy some the bridegroom comes they go in all those who were prepared went in with him and the ones who were not there miss out so let's talk about what this speaks to accountability it's it's brilliant number one first of all what do we see one everybody knows what's going on see the lord isn't deceiving us about the truth creation declares the glory of god that the mysteries of god are being revealed in the flesh and the coming of jesus christ in the story what god is saying is i am just there's no one in the face of the earth that doesn't know that they are not perfect and that sin is a part of their story and creation then pointing to my son and my son pointing forward to what he has done and will return everyone knows what's going on but here's the other thing is everyone knew what their role was all of these bridesmaids they knew that their point was to be prepared for the bridegroom whenever he came and then everyone had an expectation that if I'm standing in this line holding this torch for the bridegroom that I'm going to get to go in and feast with him and I'm going to get to be a part of this wedding celebration now here's where it gets kind of amazing why did Jesus say ten virgins well it was a symbol and a sign of faithfulness of good living right i mean when you think about mary and joseph and when she was found to be with child before jesus came and before they were betrothed the bible says that, that joseph decided in his heart to marry her silently and we know that he's a quiet we know he's a good person because he chose even though he felt wronged to respect her and so so what jesus says is all 10 bridesmaids in this story have lived a life of good works that's not the issue when it comes to who gets to eat and drink in the kingdom of heaven your good works do not get you in because a just god says even though you have good works you are still guilty so so when you and i think of the day of judgment and we read this story of christ God has a role for every image bearer to play. He doesn't keep a secret about salvation. If you're hearing the word today, he's telling you the truth. But your good works, your good living, if you teach Sunday school, if you tithe, if you, uh, if you go and, and, and build orphanages around the world, if you pick up the tab for random people at the, at the restaurant, it doesn't matter. Because it's not about how you've lived it's about something more see the only thing they didn't know is when and when starts to show something about these these ladies in the story it it shows this it shows who are all in for him you see 
as, as Christians, we, we love the reality of the truth that once you are saved, you are always saved. Amen? That is a true statement. But the problem is, we don't often test the reality of our salvation. A lot of times, like children, we find ourselves saying, I believe that Jesus is real, or I love Jesus. And that's fantastic. You must do those two things. But if Jesus is not your Lord, you're not saved. And what does Lord mean? Lord means I submit everything I have into your hands and you lead me. And the story here is of 10 bridesmaids who know their role, who have honored, who said, I want to be a part of that group, who said, I want to be in the family, I want to be at the feast, I want in. But half of them said, you can't have every area of my life. I need to hold a little bit back. For some of you, that may be your family, your children. It may be your hopes and your big dreams. It may be the sin that you're unwilling to confess to him. You know you better than, you know, than I do. But on the day of judgment, here's what happens. We realize that we fall short if we don't invest everything into the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the lesson of accountability. On the day of judgment, the Lord will make it clear to you and me if you invested everything into him or if you didn't. church the bible says that narrow is the gate and we think there are billions and billions of us that are fine on the narrow gate but the reality is the lord says otherwise look in your bible at the next passage of scripture verse 19 excuse me verse 14 it's the parable of the talents for it will be like a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted them to his property he gave one five talents, another two, another one, each according to his own ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he had made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two more. When he had received the one talent, when he, excuse me, but he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground in his master's money. Now after a long time, the master whose servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Verse 24, He who had received one talent came forward, and this is what he said. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap what I had not sown and, and gathered where I did not scatter? Verse 27, Then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be, uh, more will be given. And he'll have an abundance. For from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the worthless servant into the darkness in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, in this parable, we see some similarities to the first parable. The, the people in the parable know what's expected to them. The people in the parable understand the master is going away. He's not giving this to me. That means he's coming back. They don't know how long, verse 19 says, after a long while it happened. But at the end of the story, in the middle of this picture, we find out again, it's not about works. We find out it's about relationship. You see, the servants with five and two, what they said is, our master has entrusted us with this. We want to invest all of it to when our master returns to give him all that we have. All that we have been given is from him. Our job is just to steward that for his glory because he's our master. And so when the master returns, the day of accountability comes. It's not a day of accountability about how much you made with your money. Instead, it's a day of accountability of what do you think of me? And through their actions, the servants revealed what they thought about God. Church, this morning in this room, who are watching online, where do you stand with the master who has said, I have given you a purpose and a life. If you love me, just let it be revealed through your actions. Church, the master was not upset with the servant who only had two more talents after his long journey. The master, he wasn't angry that he hadn't earned as much as the five. See, here's the uniqueness about this one. Where in the first parable of the ten virgins, what we find out is this. We, we find out that they had done as well as they could, as good as they could, and it wasn't enough. In this one, God says, I know you don't have giftings equally. I know you don't have the same abilities. It's not about that. It's not about how smart you are, how wickedly handsome you are. It's not about how talented you are. It's about, do you love me? In church this morning, here's what the Bible says. That there was only one servant who thought he was ready for the master. There was only one servant who said, I've got this. When the master came, he dug up that coin and he said, here, I dug it up. Here's your one coin back. And here's why I did it. I didn't trust you. I didn't trust you to bring me honor. I didn't trust you to keep your word. I, I, I didn't trust you. in that what he revealed is although I hold the title of servant I don't belong to you church on the day of accountability what scripture says is this is that Jesus Christ the king of kings and lord of lords will hold him accountable for his rejection of his relationship that's what he'll do now, when we think about the day of accountability, the day of judgment, I want you to know the bride's 
the bridesmaids who had their lamps burning bright, their expectation was met because they invested all that they could to be right where they needed to be when the king returned. The servants who had been given five and two talents weren't worried about how much they would produce. They just wanted to do whatever they could so that when the master returned, they could say, we did all of it, all of it in. The beauty of that is, if you give everything you are for all that he is, whatever you have in return will be greater. Why? Because the Bible says it's the Lord's will that you bear much fruit. But he's in charge of that multiplication. The last story is about the separation of the sheep and the goats. It's different. Because here's what it says. One day, when you stand before the master, before you say a word, he's going to separate the good and the unfaithful. Bridesmaids on each side. One day, when you stand before the Lord at his return, he's going to separate out the wicked and the faithful servants. One day, you won't have to say a word because he'll start speaking to you. The first thing that scripture says he will say is come on in you who are blessed by my father and inherit what I have prepared for you before the foundation of the world only then in the story do others speak how did we live for you and he says you visited me you cared for me you came to me and they said when did we do these things and he speaks in terms of relationship. When you did it unto others, you did it unto me. And then to the wicked, he said, you're condemned. On a day of accountability, you who thought you knew everything, you who thought you spoke the word, you who thought you were doing miracles, you who, who want to lay your resume out in front of me, you get away from me. Go to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth because your works revealed you weren't here to edify the bride. You were here to build yourself up at any means necessary. You weren't here to speak truth. You were here to prove yourself. You weren't here to bring me glory. You were here to bring me glory by you bringing you glory. Church, that is not the place we want to be. So this morning, with crickets flying everywhere, We found the hole in the roof. Lord willing, next week we'll have a lower attendance Sunday. <laughs> but on that day, it's not about how good you are. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how many good things you do. It's not about how you've deceived yourself. It's not if you hold the role of deacon, pastor, life group leader the praise of men matters not the day of judgment is simply this it's a day where the Lord reveals to you what your heart already knows how real is your relationship with the king of kings let's pray together Father God we love you 
Lord, this day, God, we know all we need. Lord, you haven't left us wanting. Your goal is not to deceive us or to test us. Lord, your heart and your desire is that we just know you and that every breath we take and every, every moment that we live on this earth, God, that we just simply live like we are betrothed to you. Faithful, joyful. Lord, when the day of accountability comes, Lord, there is no man or woman whose praise matters a bit. The whole world could say, if that person doesn't go to heaven, then no one is. And the whole world's opinion is pointless. Because it's about our relationship with you. Just like the bride maids, we cannot share salvation. We can only point people to go all in. So Lord, would you find us ready? Would you find us fully committed to you? Believing that creation fell because of the sin of man. And that you sent your son to be the perfect sacrifice to do what we could not do so that we might overcome death and the grave because of his work and his witness. Lord, when the real day of judgment comes, Lord, don't let us be surprised. Lord, would you protect our heart from being deceived? And instead, Lord, would you allow us to be found faithful in our relationship with you? In Jesus' name.